Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Cheryl Batchelder, former CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. One of the reasons I talk about it now is I want people to discover the intersection sooner in their life and not believe that they have this thing called faith and home life that is somehow separate from their faith and work life. I believe we're all at our best when we live one life. All right. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert, and I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. And uh, if this is your first time joining us here at the program, welcome. We are so glad you've chosen to join us today. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. You know that this is the program that uh, we love to talk with today's top leaders in the marketplace from a wide variety of fields of expertise and areas of thought leadership. And the analogy we use here at Bottom Line Faith is this is the program where we like to lift the hood and tinker around in the engine of Christian leadership in the marketplace. If you're a regular listener, you know that uh, we travel the country and talk with CEOs and entrepreneurs and sports figures and celebrities and really high-capacity leaders who are living out their faith in the marketplace. If you're catching us online and you want to go to the website, go to bottomlinefaith.org, bottomlinefaith.org, and you can see where we have dozens of interviews posted there. And if you want to become a regular subscriber, scroll down to the bottom of the page there, and you could subscribe to the podcast and receive it on a weekly basis. Well, enough of the shameless plugs. We are so excited for our guest today. I'm really honored because I have been a, a fan of our guest today, Cheryl Batchelder, is a former CEO, the former CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. We all know and love their food and love their commercials. We see them all the time. Uh, she is also uh, the author of Dare to Serve, How to Drive Superior Results by Serving Others. Cheryl, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Thank you so much. Good to be here. You know, Cheryl, um, one of the things that I've really grown to love is um, leaders who really lead by serving, and that's really your passion. And we're going to talk about that today, but that really does kind of encapsulate what's most important to you, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's the center, center idea that I've worked on teaching and professing for the last 10 years. And we're going to talk about faith today, and we're going to talk about leadership. But folks, if you don't know Cheryl, she's going to be embarrassed, but I'm going to read just a little bit of her bio. Uh, listen to this. This is amazing. Not only former CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, but she has um, been the president and chief concept officer at Kentucky Fried Chicken Restaurants for a number of years, a senior vice president in the Domino's Pizza brand. She has worked in uh, with Keebler Company, Lifesavers, Procter & Gamble, and you are actually a product of the Kelly School of Business right here in Indiana. Is that right? Yes, I am. And I know you've done a lot more than that, but you've had an amazing career 
particularly in the food service market, right? Well, you live a long time. You have a lot of interesting work. So yes, I, I have been blessed. I've enjoyed first half of my career in what's called packaged goods marketing and the second half in restaurants. And I really found my love when I got to the restaurant business. Well, we're going to talk about business and leadership in just a moment, but let's talk about your like childhood. Let's talk about what do we need to know about the early years for Cheryl? Well, I'm the oldest of four children. I was born to Margaret and Max Stanton and blessed to be so. Uh, They were incredible parents, made us kind of the center of their universe. Uh, But they helped us really learn to be independent. Uh, We moved a lot, so we were frequently adjusting to a new place and a new school and making new friends. I think that prepared us well for life. Um, And they prepared us with faith and strong values. Uh, I often say our dinner table was an education place uh, that prepared us for how we would live our lives. Well, so it sounds like faith was a center part of the family and the upbringing and those sorts of things. So take us back. What, What was maybe one of your first remembrances of this whole concept of faith and work, and how did all that play out for you? Where where did you first get exposed to some of this thought process? Well, my first exposure to faith and work were were both of my grandmothers. Uh, My grandmothers both worked and both had incredibly strong faith. And I look back on their kind of work. They worked harder than I ever have. My grandmother ran a dairy farm, for example. Okay. One of them did, and the other was a very dedicated school teacher. And so I got to observe close hand what it looked like to uh, do your calling with enthusiasm and passion and hard work and faith. And um, my grandmothers were quoting scripture to me before I could read. So huge influence uh, from generations past. How did that then begin to shape as you came early into your career, right? You, you, you go to college, get your degree and so forth. But how did that kind of heritage shape the early years of your career? You know, I don't think anyone ever explained to me that the workplace was a place to express your faith values. But my dad did it in his life, and so I had lots of examples from home of what it looked like to demonstrate your beliefs and convictions in the workplace. Um, But frankly, one of the reasons I talk about it now is I want people to discover the intersection sooner in their life Mm -hmm. and not believe that they have this thing called faith and home life that is somehow separate from their faith and work life. Um, I believe we're all at our best when we live one life. Um, and it, for me, I came to understand that in my 40s, um, and I'd like this next generation to learn it much sooner. Okay, and we are going to talk about maybe some of those examples from your career mm-hmm. and so forth, but help our audience understand what you're up to now. You've obviously written this book, Dare to Serve, um, serving on some boards, but what does life look like for you now post-Popeye's? Well, the last year has been a a lot of fun. I've done a lot of public speaking in both faith and secular audiences, teaching the principles of servant leadership, which are suddenly now quite interesting to people. Ten years ago, you couldn't find five people to talk to about (laughs) it, Uh, but increasingly now with um, many people publishing um, about how to put it into action. There had not been a book on the practice of servant leadership for 35 years when I wrote my book two years ago, and now there's like they're coming out of the woodwork. And so I'm excited about that momentum and excited that we could be a catalyst for that. So I speak, I teach, I serve on boards, public and private, um, and then I do a significant amount of philanthropy work with the proceeds of the sale of the company. That's really exciting. So how, if someone listened to our conversation today, if they wanted to find you on the web, um, how would they do so? 
Well, I blog often at CherylBatchelder.com. The blog is called Serving Performs and gives lots of examples of putting these principles to work. Um, And I also have resources on that site. If you want to do a book study or a discussion group on these principles, there's free materials there for you to access. All right. So are you ready to get in? I'm ready to start talking about some leadership. Okay. I know this is your passion. And so tell us the story. Let's just start with the most recent story first Mm -hmm. at Popeye's. Why were you brought into the business? What was the condition of the company at the time? What did you begin to instill there, and what were the results? So let's just kind of mm. just share the story with us. Well, the Popeye story has been an exciting one. Ten years ago, the company was in serious decline, seven years of declining sales and profitability. The franchise owners who run and own the restaurants were really in despair over the future of the company. I think most of them didn't think it had a future. I was sitting on the board of directors at the time, and the CEO resigned. I thought we would just go search for a new CEO. And we did try that for a few weeks, but the board um, came and asked me about halfway into that process if I would consider taking the job. I had done two prior turnarounds of large, um, iconic brands like Popeyes and, and really loved that challenge. Um, almost the more broken, the better from my perspective. And so I was excited about it. My family was excited about it. And we decided to join forces. I would tell you, we did three things, I think, in retrospect, that really set the performance of the company in motion. The first was we called out what I call the daring destination. We had a roadmap strategy um, on what we would do to become a top-performing restaurant company. That, that may sound obvious, but the company was working on a lot of different projects that weren't producing any performance results. So we picked seven uh, issues that really needed to be tackled. They were hard to tackle, like speed of service. We needed to improve our drive throughs And we said, we're going to stop being satisfied with mediocre performance. We're going to change the game. We did that across many strategies, marketing, cost savings, speed of service, better real estate, um, and got the company in working order for its owners. Uh, We started then, secondly, really focusing on those franchise owners. We decided who we were going to serve. You know, most people never even have that conversation. They say, we serve shareholders and employees and guests. We serve everybody. Um, But if you serve everybody and don't measure anything, you don't really serve any of them very well. So we believe the franchisees had the most invested. And so we decided we'd measure everything that we did by their success, specifically their bottom line profitability. Um, And that proved to draw us into constant conversations with them about what needed to be addressed and how it should be addressed and when it should be addressed and how much money should be spent. And we became great partners. Our franchisee partnership was rated the best in the restaurant industry with 95% satisfaction on the part of our owners. The third thing we did that I always emphasize is we performed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, right. uh, there are no great leaders or great stories without happy endings uh, in business. And so uh, we performed for those owners and we measured our sales increases, our profitability increases methodically um, to ensure that we never let them down. And in the end, we did perform. The sales of their restaurants went up 45%. The profits more than doubled in absolute dollars. Market share was up 75%. And we built 200 restaurants a year for the last few years, which is top-tier growth rate. So uh, it turns out even the shareholder was happy. The share price went from $13 to $61 by the end of 16, and then sold for $79 in March of 17. 
So as you look back, roughly a 10-year... 10 years, yeah. 10-year, right? Um, as you look back over that, what's the most fulfilling... There's a lot that mm. we're going to unpack in that, but for you personally, what's most fulfilling for you as you look back over that 10-year run? For me personally, it was the development of our leaders. Um, I don't think there's any greater privilege than to grow next generation leaders. So my direct reports and their direct reports, uh, franchise leaders out in the field, um, I invested most of my time building their capability and coaching and encouraging and thanking them for their work. Um, It's greatly underestimated how valuable it is to pour into your people. Uh, And yet we know that our favorite boss, right, was the one that poured into us, spent time with us, took risks on us, gave us opportunities. Um, So I have been teaching that to my team uh, over these last several years, and I couldn't be prouder of the places they're landing now that they've left Popeyes. Um, It's just literally been a sending out of some terrific leaders into the industry. Does it kind of feel like this big sigh of like mission accomplished? (laughs) Yes, we did. I'm kind of more like a mama bear, like I'm going to keep track of my kids. There you go. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to keep track of their uh, go-forward success because I really think they're going to take those great values and principles that we learned. Yeah. together and uh, put them in play at other companies. Yep. So you talk a lot about, um, and I've heard you speak several times and, and in your book, this whole this whole concept of serving and servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I didn't realize it had been three decades. Was that Greenleaf's work from way back when on servant leadership yeah, Greenleaf you is to? about 40 years yeah, ago. Yeah. And then uh, Herman Miller. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Max Dupree at yeah. Herman Miller. Yeah, Herman Miller. Uh-huh. Um, and then Bill Pollard at Service Master were the yeah. last two CEOs to write about it. So three decades had passed, mm-hmm. and now God touched your heart, and you're writing about mm-hmm. it, but you were living it. How, if someone's listening to our conversation right now, and they're, they've heard this term servant leadership over and over and over again, but maybe they're having a hard time really putting flesh to that or kind of tires on the rubber meets road kind of thing. Walk us through in your mind, what is servant leadership and how will we know it when we see it? Mm. How will we know it when we're living it? You know, I say servant leadership is simply thinking other about others more often than you think about yourselves. We all think about ourselves and we're all worried about self-interest. But in business leadership, uh, to think about others and the impact of your decisions on them is a powerful way to create an environment where people want to be. Um, And I think that sounds self-explanatory, but I must tell you, when I ask people, describe your favorite boss ever, they quickly tell me all the traits of that person and how well they served them. When I then say, are you doing those same things for the people that work for you, I generally get blank stares. Like it's a new thought or a new notion. So what does it look like in actuality? Well, if you appreciate that a boss spent time coaching you and advancing your skills, how much time are you spending coaching and advancing the skills of your team? I ask my team to spend 30% of their week advancing the skills of their team. They told me that was impossible. And I said, well, if that's impossible, we can't be good leaders. That's our primary job responsibility for our team. And so putting it into action is what's hard. Knowing what it is, just think about your best boss. But the challenge is making time. People are not efficient. So if you're going to dedicate your life to advancing the skills and values of people, you've got to spend some serious time and investment on those people. 
And do, do we hesitate sometimes because we don't fully understand the return on that investment, or we just feel like we've got so much on our plate? What did you find were the biggest obstacles? You, you mentioned yes. you know, they're telling you, I don't have that kind of time, Cheryl. Right. 30%. What were those obstacles that they, in, in addition to being inefficient, what they have to overcome? Well, absolutely. Time is what everyone references. They think that's it, That's right? their first thing. Yeah. But I actually think they don't want to spend the time preparing for those conversations. If you knew you were going to see every one of your team members this week for an hour and a half, you would have to get ready. And you would have to think mm -hmm. ahead to what expectations you wanted to set, what questions you wanted to answer, what issues needed to be discussed, debated, and decisions made. So you would have to be very planful about that amount of time. And I think we're reticent to invest that much in others. We think somehow we might get, our needs might get short shrift if we did that. The truth of the matter is, our needs, if we're truly driving performance in business, are only accomplished through these other people and our investment in them. So uh, I think the thing I had to keep saying to people is, it does take time. It's not efficient. You can only grow people that you know. There's not a chance you can <laughs> grow them if you don't know them. Uh -huh. And just pounding that home week after week after week. And by the way, I mean know the whole person. Um, I am not afraid to have whole people conversations and teach uh, other leaders to have them because I think that's how we want to live our lives. We want to be an integrated person. So I want to know about your family. I want to know about your values and beliefs. I want to know about your life experiences, good and bad. And I only get that privilege by investing time and in listening to you and asking you questions um, and over time so that I can pour into your life in a meaningful way. This sounds an awful lot to me like marketplace ministry, mm. <laughs> right? And so as you reflect upon this model, and you know, I don't want to I don't want to cheapen, I don't want to shortchange it by saying it's a technique. It really is a lifestyle. It it, it ebbs mm. out of the heart, right? And you yes. have to love people to lead this way. Mm. So what biblical principles, what faith elements are the at the root of what we're talking about here? So there are three faith elements for me that are central to our faith and central to our ministry. The first one is that every life has inherent dignity and deserves our attention. You know, Genesis 1.27, if God created mankind in his own image, male and female, then we should all have incredible dignity for those lives that are put in front of us in leadership. That leads me to the central, present, uh, central thesis of the New Testament, which is, to love the people that we lead. Yeah. Um, yeah. That sounds like a feeling word, but it's really an action verb. I think that's why Jesus made it the central new commandment of the New Testament, that we would love one another because love comes from God, and that includes time spent and grace and forgiveness and patience and all the First Corinthians uh, traits of love. Uh, those work in the, in the marketplace. And then this idea of serving others with humility from Philippians 2.3, um, doing nothing from selfish ambition, but counting others as more significant than ourselves and investing ourselves in them. Those three tenets of dignity, of love, and of service um, are central guardrails to the actions you take in the marketplace. At Popeyes, we evaluated people 
half on their business objectives and half on how they accomplish their work. Mm. And we expected them to treat people with dignity. We expected loving actions towards people, including tough expectations and candid conversations, or loving arms when something really difficult happened in their lives. Um, that's how we served. I'd like to just touch on one. There's so much there. We could have a 30-minute conversation just on those three points mm-hmm. that you just made. But you talk about difficult conversations. How, how does that play into this loving people well? I find quite often that particularly Christian leaders sometimes feel like they're hesitant to have those hard, mm-hmm. candid conversations. Would you elaborate a little bit on that? Speak to why that's part of loving someone well, having those kind of conversations. Well, you know, I think we would want someone to be honest with us, would we not? Um, It's literally dishonest, um, and it does a disservice to people to not tell them the truth. And the truth can look like setting clear expectations on what you need them to do at work. Uh, The truth can say, you have not delivered on your expectations that we discussed earlier, and I need you to do that, and you need to share with me any reason why you can't. Um, And then if the person is unable to step up to the opportunity, the greatest dignity I can give them is the truth that this is not the job for them. People ask me all the time, do you ever fire anybody in servant leadership? I'm like, well, of course you do, right? Uh, It's the dignity thing to do for the other people in the enterprise if someone is not able to do their job or not carrying their weight. They're probably miserable anyway, right? They're, they're unhappy. The team is unhappy. Yeah, the company's yeah. being held back by lack of performance. And so um, you can fire people with grace and concern for their interest. You can point them towards things they are better at than this particular job. You can help them land in a better place in life, and they might even, down the road, thank you for that, right? Um, It's just being, it's just candor, and it's deserved. And and, and Jesus talked about speaking the truth in love, and it really is, where's that coming from? Is it vindictiveness, or are we really serving with love? And I I love what you're talking about. Well, much like we do with our children, right? right. You don't let the three-year-old eat the whole cookie back. You know, that would be not in his interest, right? And the same thing is true at work. We don't allow things to happen that are not in the interest of the person and of the enterprise we've been asked to lead. That's great stuff. So let, let's talk then a little bit about some of the challenges that you've had over mm-hmm. the years and as it relates particularly to living out your faith. Um, what's been the most challenging aspect of you being a follower of Christ and in very high-profile positions mm-hmm. in, in very large companies? Where's the challenge in all that been for you as it relates to your faith? Well, A couple of things. Um, Until you've been challenged, uh, your faith has not been developed. Um, And so (laughs) I'm thankful for the challenges. Uh, I would tell you one challenge for me was getting fired from KFC as president Mm. in a very public fashion, cover of the business section of the newspaper saying, KFC president has been replaced. You know, that's a pretty ugly headline um, when you uh, pride yourself in doing good work and caring about the people. Um, And that was a, a bit of a crisis of my confidence, not my faith, yeah. but of my confidence. And so learning to let God walk you through trials and tribulations and staying surrendered through those, it's much easier to surrender when things are going well 
than it is when you're not happy with the outcome. And so I think I always uh, uh, open up my hands to remind myself to keep my palms open and not clinching opportunities because they don't always turn out like you'd hoped. You don't always perform like you wish. Um, and sometimes you learn lessons the hard way like everybody else does. And so I think that has uh, significantly grown my understanding of surrender. What I really like about what you just shared there that was this distinction between your, your confidence was shaken, but not your faith. Mm. And so maybe just maybe we just pause for just a moment. I'd like you to maybe pass along a word of encouragement. There's somebody listening to this conversation mm-hmm. right now, and maybe they stumbled on it, or maybe they've got their headphones on and they're running on their treadmill and listening to it with their iPhone, or whatever the case may be, or maybe listening to it in their car, and they're really discouraged right now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, I'm going through something really hard. My business isn't going like I'd like. My marriage isn't like it, you know, I'm hoping it would be, or whatever help them understand the difference between the confidence being mm. shaken and their faith? I mean, how would that work for them? Give them a word of encouragement right now. This, this is great. Well, I, I believe when your confidence is shaken, you go back to the Creator and have a chat um, and reconnect with why He created you and how He thinks about you, not how you think about yourself. I think that's hard for all of us to believe that God loves us as much as He does. Um, but I have absolutely experienced incredible encouragement from revisiting uh, God the Creator um, and the bumper sticker, God doesn't make junk, um, and uh, just reminding ourselves that, no, He has a plan. What's happening right now is the refinement. I love that verse about gold being refined by fire, and I think your fiery trials refine you the most, and what refinement means is they draw you closer to Him. They draw you closer. Um, and somehow our successes let us drift from him. <laughs> well, Paul said, talked about, you know, Lord, don't give me so much that I become boastful and arrogant, and don't give me so little that I'm tempted to steal, right? Yes. That's that, that's that tension that we're it feeling is. between success, quote, and failure, as, as the, the world would have it uh, defined. So as you look back um, over the course of your career, whether it be in the Popeye's mm-hmm. position or maybe another role that you had, what would you say was one of the biggest mistakes that you made that you learned from, and uh, what did you learn from it? Well, it may it's related to what we were just talking about, um, because the mistakes I made when I was at KFC largely came from not being confident in my convictions about how to lead. Mm. I was always looking around trying to lead like everybody else and trying to look like my boss and trying to practice whatever they told me to practice. Um, I now talk to leaders about early in your career, figuring out what you believe your principles are for leadership, your convictions, um, and getting those cemented so that you're not swaying in the wind. Uh, A simple example I'd give you is I I really believe that we should steward the uh, business enterprises for a long period of time. That isn't a very popular notion today. Uh, The average CEO is a a two-and-a-half-year CEO. I really didn't want to be one of those. But that's different than culture today. And to say I'm working on a three- to five-year plan and to ask a board to invest in a longer view than is typical takes courage. It's far different than the rest of the uh, people are looking towards, and you have to know why you stand on that 
principle to put it into play. So the same with uh, servant leadership. I think the first time I talked to my board about servant leadership, they said, as long as you're making your numbers, you can lead however you want. <laughs> right, right. right yeah. Yeah. And I, they didn't share my conviction for servant leadership. They just liked the outcomes, yeah. right? And so learning that I have that conviction no matter what, right, and being unwavering, that probably the best line I learned early That's on good. from somebody was that live your life for an audience of one. And if you're not just living towards your convictions as guided by your Heavenly Father, you are going to blow in the wind and stray from those convictions in the marketplace. Yeah. Out of Colossians 3, right? Whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord and not as unto men. And so I could place myself in that conversation that you had the confidence of those convictions, that it was the right thing. And the results were going to just hopefully fall in place. But if not, you still could walk away knowing you were an authentic leader. That's right. Regardless of results. That's correct. That's beautiful. That's fantastic. Well, um, Cheryl, as you as you, as busy, busy, busy person, right? Even now, you've got a lot going on. But in the height of your work, how did you balance it all? A spouse, a parent, um, demands on your time, meeting with leaders. What was that like for you? How did you balance it all? Well, first, it's about your convictions. Okay. I always planned on being married and raising a family, never debated or discussed otherwise. Uh, met my husband at 24, married shortly thereafter, now been married over 37 years. Congratulations. Um, so, you know, if you believe that's a central principle in your life, that's what you make sure uh, you attend to in your life. I'm not a big fan of the work-life balance word. Right. I don't think it was very helpful because on any given day, we were not balanced. Uh, we were helping each other out. My husband and I both worked really hard to keep our home on track and our work on track. We took turns. We helped each other. Our parents helped us. Our neighbors helped us. Um, and uh, each day, I, I called it one day at a time. Yeah. Um, you know, I've taken a lot of the principles, frankly, out of the AA manual, right? Um, because that one day at a time conversation that you have when you're fighting off addiction is the same conversation you ought to be having if you're drowning in work, <laughs> right? Is you've got to figure out how to get your priorities straight in one day at a time. And, and laughter, my goodness. One morning I got up, put on a beautiful silk suit for a board meeting, and my daughter threw up all over it. And <laughs> you just have to go, oh, well, <laughs> back to the drawing board we go, you know? So, and not ever get, you know, so crazy that you can't just laugh. Can't take ourselves too, too serious, seriously, right? Because this too shall pass, whatever, whatever it is. So as you look back, um, if you could go back and advise your twenty-year-old you, mm. and give counsel and advice to the twenty-year-old Cheryl, what would you say? Well, I actually get to do that just about every day. I have a thirty-one-year-old, a twenty-six-year-old, and a twenty-four-year-old. So we talk about life often. Um, the one thing I, I'm talking about with my two girls that are married is not to get sucked into the you got to do it all. You know, this particularly for women, this idea that you can do it all is really a myth and all you end up is very very exhausted and sad <laughs> if you try to do it all. Uh, you never feel good about your family or yourself. Um, and so I talk to them about making conscious choices about where they spend their time, taking breaks 
for rest and rejuvenation, um, developing their faith as much as they're developing their skills, uh, putting their family first. And the one thing I think looking back, I wish I had understood the value of margin in those days where you're young married with lots, you know, with Mm. big kid responsibilities and a lot of career um, you just feel like you don't have enough time. And if you could breathe, take a deep breath and have a little bit more margin in your life, you'll actually be better at all of those things. But it's a very hard lesson to learn, and I think I learned it later in life. Sounds to me like uh, it also is about living in the moment, too. Be here now. It's one of the things I learned from one of my bosses that is, I think is great advice is to learn to be right in the moment you're in, whether it's with a three-year-old or a board member um, or a person that works for you, any of those places to be fully attentive to the moment you're in. Think about that passage where Moses is talking to the Lord, and the Lord's asked him to go speak to Pharaoh, mm-hmm. right? And he says, well, who should I say sent me? He didn't say, tell them I will be. Yes. He didn't say, tell them I was. He says, tell them I am. am. And that's living in the moment, right? That's that is, that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> so, oh well, so maybe you could take away something from our conversation That's right. I will take that well. one home with me. <laughs> well, well, Cheryl, uh, gosh, we, we call this the fastest 30 minutes on air, and we're way down the pathway, nearing the end of our, our conversation here. And I just have a couple couple more questions for you, but what is something that was really important that you had on your notes or in your heart today that you wanted to make sure you pass along to our listeners that we haven't talked about yet? Well, the one thing I wanted to share is what has inspired me to work these many years uh, as a ministry in the, in the marketplace. I read this quote from Max Stackhouse, who was a professor of theology at Princeton University, and he wrote a book called On Moral Business. And it really gave me a lot of guidance for my convictions. But he said this in the opening foreword, increasingly business leaders will be the stewards of civilization. And I didn't sleep for three days, because what he went on to describe is many of our institutions are failing. You can point to the schools, the governments, uh, the family. Um, And maybe it will lie upon business to steward civilization forward for our Heavenly Father. And that has kept me getting out of bed, running to work enthusiastically for a very long time. Uh, Not that business is the only way we minister, but it could end up being a really important one. And here's one of the things I've seen live. I've done business in 26 countries. Uh, A restaurant is a united nations of diverse people and diverse backgrounds of all faiths. And I have seen that we are able to work together and develop a better place together, uh, while many of the institutions suggest that is not possible. And so I want to encourage people to see business as a stewardship of civilization and to invest, if they are called to business, to invest their energy towards that end. That is a beautiful word picture. That that The United Nations, I mean, we have that common goal, we have that common thing, right, in mind there. That's really a beautiful analogy. Well, you know, Christ uh, commanded us to love others, including those not like ourselves. I was reading this morning about some of the things he said back to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he was very clear that the commandment to love others as I have loved you is for everybody in every country where we have the opportunity to touch them. 
I'm going to contemplate that. That's that's really good. And then and the, would you mention that book? Uh, it was on moral business. And who 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 wrote that again? Max Stackhouse wrote yeah. the foreword, and it's an anthology of ethics and business. Uh, it's, it's a great primer for people that really want to study the thesis of workplace ministry. That's really good, and that gets you out of bed in the morning more more so than just driving a stock price, right? Absolutely. Is to know that uh, oh no pressure here, but the Lord may be calling us to be the cornerstone of His kingdom in the marketplace. Yes, He does. Can you believe we're at the end of our time together? It went really fast. <laughs> I've got more questions. I'm sure you've got more notes. But Cheryl, the, the, there's always one question that I ask at the end of every interview, and it's what I call my 423 question. It's based out of Proverbs chapter mm-hmm. 4, verse 23, and it is where, where, where Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows all of life. And so um, what I'd like to ask you to do is take a moment and reflect that you have a, a chance that, let's just say, you know, it's the end of your time, this side of eternity, and you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, your loved ones, those who are most precious to you, and you have a chance to pass along one piece of advice. So I'd like you to fill in the blank for us as we wind down our time together. Above all else, what advice would you give? Above all else... Above all else, love one another, for love is from God. Uh, Woman at the well, Christ approached her knowing all her sin and said, follow me and sin no more. And there's no greater story of what we're expected to do as his representatives on this side of the kingdom. Love one another and love one another well. It's John chapter 4. For love is from God. That's beautiful. Cheryl Batchelder, thank you for being our guest here at Bottom Line Faith. And would you mind one more time sharing the website where our listeners can find you, your blog, order your book, learn more about uh, servant leadership? How would they find you? Absolutely. My blog is called Serving Performs, and it's found at www.cherylbatchelder.com, C-H-E-R-Y-L-B-A-C-H-E-L-D-E-R. I hope to get another conversation with you. I feel like I've just been able to scratch the surface. I'm honored. Thank you. My pleasure. For being it's been here today. Delightful. And uh, so, folks, it is conversations like this, which is why we do the program here at Bottom Line Faith. So, if you're a business leader today, you could be a parent, you could be a teacher. I, it really doesn't matter uh, what you're doing vocationally. If you could be encouraged, if you were encouraged by what you heard today, if you got a tip, I've, I've got some notes on my page. If you got some things to go back and ponder then I think our time together today would have been well worthwhile. Cheryl, before we end the program, any closing words or encouragement that you'd like to pass along? No, but I love that idea of be encouraged. Be encouraged. Well, folks, this wraps up another edition of Bottom Line Faith, the the program where we like to lift the hood and tinker around in the engine of Christian leadership. I would encourage you to check out a copy of Cheryl's book, Dare to Serve, How to Drive Superior Results by Serving Others. Uh, available at bookstores, Amazon, pretty much anywhere you would get your reading materials. Also, she will be speaking at the 2018 Truth at Work Conference, which is scheduled for November 9th. At least we're hoping that's still the case. We're, we're excited. We're going to see you, right? Yes, absolutely. And I've been telling everybody how excited I am that Cher will be our one of our guest speakers this year, so be sure to check that out as well. Until next time, I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to faithfully serve the Lord in the marketplace. God bless. And we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. 
you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.